The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Look, please, with me. And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. Two times in John's gospel, chapter number one, John sees Jesus, and two times John gives the same greeting, and that is, or the same introduction, behold the Lamb of God. The theme tonight that, I, that God has challenged me with is, is a question, why did Jesus Christ have to die? Why did Jesus Christ have to die. John the Baptist here issues a challenge that is not just for John's day, but it's timeless. It is a timeless statement. He will always be, Jesus Christ will always be the Lamb of God. He will always be the Son of God. He was speaking to the people there who were assembled on the banks of the Jordan River. But the message is still of the utmost importance over 2,000 years later. It is a message, as we think of Jesus being the Lamb of God, it is a message that will help set anyone who is captive, it will set them free. By the way, all of us at some time in our life have been captive, maybe not in prison, uh, maybe not... uh, in in any kind of a confinement against our will, but we've all been captive. We've all been captive to sin. Maybe we're captive to sin tonight in one way or another. The only way we can be set free from that is the Lamb of God. It is a message that leads some tonight that might be lonely. It will lead that lonely person to find a friend. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. It is a message that will lead someone who, as we learned about this morning, it will lead someone who constantly is defeated. It will lead that person to victory. There is no greater victory that we can have in our life apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a message that gives hope to those that are hopeless. What is the message? It's simple, really, that Jesus is The Lamb of God, it is a message that will breathe life, breathe life into the dead. It is a message that transforms sinful man into a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Why did the Lamb of God Why did the Lamb of God, why did Jesus have to die? Let's go in our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53. The first reason that Jesus had to die, number one, his death was the only cure for our sin. His death. Now we're thinking about these things tonight in lieu of taking the Lord's table and we're remembering of me. 
His death, the Lord Jesus' death, the Lamb of God's death, is the only cure for sin. Isaiah 53 and verse 6. God's word says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the Saul. Who is this him? Who is this one that's taken all of your iniquity? Who is this him that has taken all of my transgressions on him? It is none other than the Lamb of God. It is none other than that one that John saw and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The Passover lamb delivered Israel from her transgressions. It continued today. Sinful man is given the opportunity once again to be cured from a merciful, loving God. Think about the condition that you were in before you got saved and God, by his great love for you, because his lamb, his son, willingly gave up his life and he provided the cure, the only cure for the sins that you committed, the sins that I've committed. B.R. Lakin said this, sin is universal. He said, sin lurks in the closets of the rich. It dwells in the filth-ridden houses of, of the poor. It makes an indelible mark upon the learned. Sin leaves its stain upon the ignorant. It motivates the murderer. It enslaves the addict. It, it activates the alcoholic. It is the enemy of the home. It is the enemy of the school. It is the enemy of the church. And it seeks by intrigue. Sin seeks by intrigue to destroy. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So without the Lamb, without the Lamb of God, without the death on the cross, yes, without the shed blood of the Lamb, we know that in the Old Testament, uh, the lamb would be, would, the lamb's blood, a spotless, pure lamb's blood would be shed by the high priest. It would be brought into the, the Holy of Holies and it would atone for the sins of the people. But once the Lord Jesus Christ paid the ultimate sacrifice, he did it once, once for all. The Lord Jesus Christ paid that sacrifice. His death is the only cure for our sin. Tonight, if you're here in this room, if you're joining us online and you've never turned to Jesus Christ, I submit to you, there, there is great help with him. There is great hope with him, but you must turn to him. He's calling you. He's saying, come, come. I have what you need. I have the cure for your sin. I have the cure for, for, your, for the, the penalty of sin. And we'll talk about that. He is the only way. His sacrifice was pure. His sacrifice was holy. His sacrifice was without sin. His sacrifice appeased the very wrath of God. That sacrifice was for you. That sacrifice was for me. Jesus Christ's death was the only cure for sin. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter two, please. Hebrews chapter two. That one of the, one of the names that we looked at tonight that John said about the Lord Jesus was he was the lamb. He was the lamb of God. He was the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ's death was the only cure for sin. Man has come up with other ways and tried to think of other ways. 
to overcome sin, and I would submit to us, even if we're saved tonight, the only way we're gonna overcome sin is to constantly lean on the Lamb of God. He's the one that gives us the cure for our sin for all eternity, but also the cure for our sin now. He's the one who helps us to have the victory that we talked about this morning. So number one, Jesus Christ's death was the only cure for sin. Hebrews 2.17, Hebrews 2.17. Wherefore in all things, excuse me, that's not, that's not the verse I wanted. That he might merciful. Okay, I've got the wrong verse. Ah, verse I have is that he might. I have the wrong address. That's bad, isn't it? Let me just do a quick check here. Well, maybe it's something else, 217. That doesn't help you, does it? The verse is that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, but it's not Hebrews 217. I'll see if I can get that for you. Is that right? Oh, it's, oh, sorry. Good, yeah, that's, that's why, okay. Well, thank you. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful, thank you, and for your patience, and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Number two, why did Jesus Christ have to die? Jesus Christ's death was the means to reconciliation. It was the means to reconciliation. So I have, before, before coming to the Lamb of God, I have a record. I have a record. I have a sin record. It's long. I mean, it's really long. You have one too. It's long, right? It's really long. We all have a sin record. And so because there's a record there, uh, there's a debt that's got to be paid. There's got to be be some reconciliation. What are we going to do about this sin debt? It's growing and growing and growing and growing by the leaps and bounds. And the Lamb of God, we enter the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, by his own death. Sinful, pure, holy. By his own death, he was able to reconcile the account of every man. Every lady, every uh, person born of woman that ever lived, he was able to reconcile that sinful account and make the balance zero and make the balance paid in full. That's why he had to die. Because if you would have looked at my sin record and I would have looked at your sin record and we would have said, whoa, we've got a really big record here. We've got something's got to give or we're going to have to pay. We're going to have to pay for this sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, right? Romans 6, 23. 
Romans 5, 12 says that death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Why did Jesus have to die? He had to die because my sin debt was big. Your sin debt was big and he, had, he, he reconciled us. If you picture the Lord Jesus, he's not on the cross anymore, by the way. Thank the Lord for that, okay? So maybe be careful about wearing something that has Jesus on the cross, all right? Uh, he's not on the cross, folks. Uh, he is, he's in the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf and mine. But if we could, we could kind of picture, if you will, the Lord Jesus Christ, his hands are out on the cross. And the picture that I have in my mind is Jesus Christ being able to take sinful man and to take holy God and because he's dying on the cross, he's reconciling those account, that account, my account, my account. And he's bringing sinful man right to a holy God. No other way could that be possible. No other way could that happen except the Lamb of God, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God would lay down his life and reconcile, reconcile my account with a holy God. His death on Calvary was triumphant. It was not a defeat at all. His death led to victory. His death led to reconciliation. His death led to the defeat of the enemy, our enemy, the roaring lion that is seeking about to devour you, the death of the Savior, the Lamb of God. It canceled forever. Think about this. The death of Jesus canceled forever the sin debt that you and I have. It didn't just cancel the sin that we did before we came to the Lamb of God and got saved. It didn't just cancel the sin debt for those things that we've done since then. But it canceled the sin debt for the things before we got saved. Now that we are saved and any sin that we'll do from this day forward, it's been canceled once and for all. Think about the, the enormity of that. I deserve to die in the lake of fire. We covered that this morning. I deserve to die and go to the lake of fire. And yet because my Savior died on a cross like that and willingly laid down his life, no man took it from him. Pilate didn't take it from him. The soldiers didn't take it from him. The Roman government didn't take it from him. He willingly laid it down, and when he laid it down, for once and for all, it canceled the sin debt that you and I would have for all eternity. And every time God looks at your account, and every time God looks at my account, it says, paid in full. Every time. Why? Because the Lamb of God the innocent Lamb of God died for the guilty man like me, mankind like us. The innocent died for the guilty. That's why he had to die. There's no other way for my account to be settled. As the songwriter wrote, the old account was settled long ago. There's no other way. It had to be that way. Isaiah 53 and 5 we read it earlier. We read, we read verse 6. Maybe you want to turn back to Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded. 
Let's go up to verse three. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes, we are healed. God longed to save. But if such a word may be allowed, I must be just, said God. It is a necessity of my nature to be just. Stern as fate and fast as immutability doesn't change is the truth that I must be just. But then my heart desires to forgive, to pass by man's transgression and pardon them. How can it be done? How can I be just? How can I be forgiving at the same time? Wisdom stepped in and said, it shall be done thus. And love agreed with wisdom. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, shall stand in man's place. And he shall be offered upon Mount Calvary instead of man. The old rugged cross Jesus had to die because there was the only, he was the only cure for sin. Secondly, Jesus Christ had to die because he was the only means of reconciliation. Let's go back to Revelation. Let's go to Revelation chapter 5. Thirdly, Revelation chapter 5. Verse 9. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain. For thou wast slain. Who's that speaking of? Look up at verse 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a what? a lamb, as it had been slain. Verse 9 says, Thou hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and made us unto our God as kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Number three, Jesus Christ's death was the only means for redemption, not just reconciliation and not just so that we could uh, have uh, our sin cured, but so that we could be redeemed, redeemed. Since the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve made a choice. Adam, Eve, you have all these trees, but there's one, please don't take anything of it or you're going to die. 
And Adam and Eve made a choice. Genesis chapter three, we find that they made a choice. They chose to disregard the word of God. And we have in our hands today the word of God. What is sin? Sin is disregarding and going against the word of God. We believe that we are sinners by nature. And we believe that we are sinners by choice. There isn't anyone in this room tonight that hasn't chosen to sin at one time or another and probably many more than one times, one time. That sin brings with it a father, the father of sin, just like the father of redemption or the father of love is the Lord Jesus, our God in heaven, our heavenly father. That sin brings, that sin has a father and that's the devil. He is the king of pain. He is the king of suffering. He is the king of bondage. In order to be set free, there's a price that's got to be paid. Man could not pay. Only God could pay this price. And on Calvary's cross, a transaction or an exchange was made. And on that day, an exchange was made. And as I said earlier, that was the righteous for the unrighteous. It was the holy for the unholy. Turn to Mark's gospel, please. Mark's, Mark's gospel, chapter 14. Why did he have to die? The only means. He was the only means for redemption, the only method of redemption. Jesus Christ, we have referred to him as the captain of our salvation. During that time on the cross, he was turned over to the forces of evil. During the time of his trial, during the time of his crucifixion, there wasn't anything just about the trial. False witnesses, all of it, none of it would, would carry weight, but there was, this was a different, different court, different order. God was allowing it so that there could be a great sacrifice made for you and for me. Everything that Satan threw at him, he was able to endure it because he came not to live and conquer and be king. He came, remember, as in John 1, John the Baptist did not say, Behold, our king! said, Behold, our lamb. A lamb is no match for a lion. Right? I'm, I'm spe speaking in literal terms. A lamb is no match for a lion. The picture there is of a humble creature, if you will, submitting himself, humbling himself, to death, even the death of the cross. Mark 14, verse 65. Let's consider this cross scene for a few moments leading up to it. And some began to spit on him 
Let's think about that for a moment. Let's just not gloss over that. Some were spitting on Jesus. Could be one of the lowest things somebody could do to you is spit on you. I'm not talking about accidentally. I'm talking about, you know, trying to. Is there really anything else? I mean, yeah, I guess there is, but that's pretty low. And some began to cover his face. I've tried to just envision this. I'm not really claustrophobic, but anytime you put something over your head, I don't care if you're not claustrophobic. That's never a good feeling when you have something pulled over your head. Here, Mark says that they began to pull things over his head and then they began to buffet him, punching him in the face, taking all of this. Look what it says. And they began to say unto him, prophesy. Who hit you, Jesus? Who hit you, teacher? You've done all these miracles. We've heard about them. Who just hit you? They began to hit him in the face. And the Bible says that the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands. He's been spat on. His face has been covered. And we might say, what a weakling. No. What meekness. What is meekness? Meekness is power under control. No, it's not weak. It's love. It's love that took Jesus to the place where all Satan could throw everything at him, just trying to push him, if you will, push him over an edge of, okay, that's it, that's enough. But all the while being spat upon and being beaten and being, being hit with the fist and a bag pulled over his head and being punched, all the while it's the compassion of the Lord Jesus, the Lamb. It's the compassion of the Lamb of God. It's the redemption that was being paid that kept the Lord Jesus from saying, enough. You think, to think he would go through all of that for you and for me, but you know what? He would go through all of that for people that would reject him. Verse 66 talks about Peter and how Peter denied him. Onward to the end of the chapter. Let's look at Mark 15 and verse 17. Verse 16, and the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium. They called together the whole band. They got a whole group, a, a whole cohort, a whole group of soldiers. And they clothed them with purple. They said he was the king of the Jews, and so let's put some purple on this king. He's been spat upon, he's been beaten by... And he's been now mocked. And then they gave him a crown, a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they had a reed there. The Bible says in verse 19 that they smote him on the head. This is a 
verb that is in an imperfect tense. What does that mean? It means it didn't just happen one time. It means they didn't just hit him on the head once and then put the reed down time and time and time and time again. You remember, the Bible says that his visage was so marred when he went to the cross that it was unrecognizable. You can imagine having your head hit with a reed instrument like that time and time again. Smote him on the head with the reed and did spit upon him. Again, they spit upon him. And again, the the verb spit there is also in an imperfect tense. It doesn't mean that they spit on him one time and that's it. Time and time and time again. It would do all of us good. It would do all of us good. I don't know how regularly, but regularly to read through the account of the cross to show our appreciation for what the Lord Jesus has done for us. And bowing their knees, they worshiped him. I have this picture in my mind because of these the way this is described in Mark's gospel and because the Bible says there that they have a whole band, I have the idea in my mind, I'm not saying this is definitely how it happened, but this is how I envision it, that you've got soldier after soldier after soldier. They have a reed in their hand and one of them comes up and hits Jesus and spits on him and bows down and mocks him, hands it to the next soldier, and the next soldier comes up and does the same thing and hands it to the next soldier, and the next soldier comes up and does the same thing over and over and over and over again. Verse 20. When they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him. That alone would have been painful because he's already bleeding from the cat of nine tails. And the robe is put on him and he's bloodied. In any length of time, the blood would begin to even start sticking to the robe, coagulating and start sticking to the robe and then the robe was taken off. Imagine the Pain, even that was, put his clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. And they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they bring him unto the place, Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was about the third hour, and they crucified him. Verse 27, And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on the right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, And he was numbered with the transgressors. They that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. 
Likewise, also the chief priests mocking said unto among themselves with the scribes, he saved others, himself he cannot save. What kind of a king is this? Let Christ, the king of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. And when the sixth hour was come, their day began at, this was at three o'clock, or at, at, at noon, excuse me, noon. There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. From noon to three, darkness. In the middle of the day. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Verse 37, and Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. Jesus Christ, 33 years of age, approximately. Jesus Christ, the same one in John 1 where we started tonight, when John saw him two different times, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Jesus Christ now at the end of Mark's Gospel is dead. He has paid the ultimate sacrifice. He has died on the cross. Dying on the cross because of the only, he was the only cure for sin. Dying on the cross because reconciliation needed to be made in your life and mine. And, and most importantly, dying on the cross because he was the only method for redemption. I ask you tonight, whether you're here or joining us online, have you been redeemed? Now, praise the Lord, every Sunday in Anchor Baptist Church and every Sunday all around the world, there's a celebration that takes place. Turn with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, he died. He did die. And we should, we've explained why he had to die. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark. Think of that, Mary Magdalene, of all people. When she met Jesus, she was possessed with seven devils. This is the change that Jesus can make. And who hits the tomb first? Mary Magdalene. She seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher, then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter. It was Mary who got there first, who then went and found Simon Peter. Peter therefore went, excuse me, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. 
John is there and he's stooping down and he's looking in. He sees the linen clothes lying, but he didn't go in. But Peter, he's not waiting. Verse six, then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lying. Three days prior to this is when we read in Mark's gospel that Jesus Christ gave up the ghost. Three days prior to this, they came to the Lord Jesus as he was hanging on the tree. And uh, they normally would break the legs of the, of the, of the uh, people that were crucified so they couldn't raise up anymore with their legs and breathe. They would have broken legs and they would end up asphyxiating themselves. They would die. They couldn't breathe anymore. But prophecy tells us that not a bone of his body was broken. And the soldiers went there to that cross. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, is dead. They broke not any bone of his body. They took a sword and pierced his side and out came water and blood. Jesus was dead. He paid the ultimate sacrifice. But three days later, the woman with whom seven devils cast out went to the tomb and the stone wasn't rolled where it was supposed to be. And she went, goes and finds John and Peter and they run over there and, and Peter and John is there first and Peter runs right by him and goes right into the tomb and Jesus is gone. He's not there. Verse 10. Then the disciples went away again into their own home. Can you, can you picture that? They went home. What? They just went home. I mean, the tomb's empty and they went home. But look what Mary did. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. Mary stayed right there, just tears running down her face. What happened to Jesus? What happened to my Lord? And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeth two angels. Boy, John and Peter, they should have stuck around a little bit longer. She seeth two angels sitting one at the head and one at the feet, or the body had lain, had lain. The body was no longer there, and it's still not there today. And they say unto her, woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto him, because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. And I was meditating on this even as late as yesterday and thinking, how did she not know it wasn't Jesus? I don't know how far he was from her. I don't know because her, tear, her eyes were full of tears, you know. And when we start crying a lot and we try to see, we can't see very good or... And he even spoke to her, and he, she didn't recognize his voice yet. Verse, thir, verse 15, she thought he was the gardener. But everything changed in verse 16. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Skip down to verse 18. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord. John said when he saw the Lord in John 1, behold, the Lamb of God. He lived 33 years. He died on an old better cross. And when Mary sees him, she says to him, she doesn't say to him, lamb anymore. 
Notice the difference now. She doesn't say to him, lamb. She doesn't say the lamb of God. She says, Rabboni, master. You see, something is going to be or someone is going to be the master of all of our lives. Are we going to let us master our own lives? That's not going to work out, is it? Are we going to let this world master our own lives? No, we need to today, anew and afresh, see the risen Lord. Yes, there's a reason why he died on the cross. We've explained that, but he didn't stay dead. Three days later, up from the grave, he arose, and he is a risen Lord. He needs to be our Rabboni. He needs to be our master. We are to be his servant. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and they had spoken these things. The same day at evening, being the first day of the week, a week later, from what I can see, Sunday, they were in a meeting and the doors were shut. Why were they shut? Look at verse 19. We're almost done. The disciples were meeting in, in, in uh, private. The doors were shut. They were assembled for fear of the Jews. And Jesus shows up. All of a sudden, there's Jesus in the midst of them. He doesn't need, to, he doesn't need the door to open. He just showed up. And Jesus said, peace. And I encourage you tonight to hear the voice of the Lord Jesus on this Easter Resurrection Sunday. He's not here with us bodily, but he's here seated. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. His spirit is here with us as believers. And in a topsy-turvy world tonight, I want us to hear the words of the Lord Jesus. I don't want us to live and meet in fear. I want us to hear the words of the Lord Jesus. And he says, peace. Tomorrow we go to work, we go to school, we go here and there. Let's hear the words of our master. He's, he's done all that he needed to do on the cross. And now because of that, he can provide us with peace. Like nobody else. It is a peace that passeth all understanding. Let's pray. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Just a moment, we're going to go into the Lord's table. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Thank you for listening. I wonder if there's anyone here tonight that would say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm here in this meeting and I've never been saved. If I died tonight, I do not know for sure that I would go to heaven. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out, I'm good, but I'd like to pray. We have anybody here tonight by the uplifted hand that would say, Pastor Turner, pray for me. I'm not sure that I'm saved. Pray for me. Would you slip your hand up? Is there anyone like that? If I died tonight, you know, somebody just reminded me of this week of a tragedy that happened here in the Vancouver area. And I don't say this to say it, just to say we don't know when we're going to die, folks. Somebody driving down the road in Vancouver, that tree came down. Maybe many of you heard about it. Just boom. One car, one fatality. They left that day with everything planned, I'm sure. That was their last day. You may have your life planned. 
that God has a plan greater than your plan and mine. If you're not saved, don't leave here tonight without getting that settled.